Whoever you are, we do welcome you. Wherever you come from, we welcome you. And whomever you love, we welcome you. My name is Eric Van Bars, and it's my privilege today to serve as the worship associate leader for today's service. And I am joined by Reverend Stephen Protzman, musical direct, music director Howell Walker, and Colleen Taylor. We are delighted to welcome everyone to our religious community. Our chalice this morning is lit by Saul and Kalani. And the words to our chalice lighting are in your order of service. Please join me in saying these aloud. We light this flame to remember that every vision wants to grow. It has its own heat, its, its own, own hunger. hunger. It arrives wanting more and wanting us to become more. It has us. We don't have it. We are continually drawn forward by its pull. May today help move us toward its larger call. In a better way. One, two, 
have a right to your dream and don't be denied. I believe in a better way. ago, Michelle Boris and I spent a Sunday morning in Plum Creek Park visioning with the children of this community. We set up three stations, Legos, large building blocks, and a large piece of mural paper with markers. The children were tasked with envisioning the future of our church. First, they were asked to build or draw the actual building, and once completed, we asked them to describe their structures. It's so huge that everyone can see it, offered one child. Others chimed in. It has a rainbow peace sign on top to show everyone we're peaceful here. It glows in the dark at night so people can find it. <laughs> then we asked them to take a few minutes and meditate on two questions. Who are the people inside? What kinds of things do they do? We love everyone. We say, come on in. We help people. We have fun together. It really is as simple as that, isn't it? Of course, they were not finished describing the people inside. Blue hair, babies, grown-ups, they drink coffee. <laughs> and on and on it went while giggles erupted. It was that morning with the children there in the park where my vision became very clear. This is where I am called, right here, right now with these children and the children that will come after to help us build our church of the future. Now there's a popular movie musical that recently became quite the hit with kids and adults alike. In it, a hungry child is living on the streets, rejected by society. He is fed by a woman who is also one of the rejected. In the story, this act of kindness fuels the child's imagination for a better world. And he begins to sing. Every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see. A million dreams is all it's gonna take. A million dreams for the world we're gonna make. The pure optimism of just a million dreams, no big deal. A million dreams is all it's gonna take. It reminds me of that morning in the park. Our children have dreams to share with us. Perhaps they have a million dreams to share with us. And these dreams are filled with bright colors, unfettered optimism, and much wisdom. Ask them about them and share your dreams with them too as we explore our vision and future together. And hey, maybe someday our church will glow in the dark. Come, let us worship together. As Unitarian Universalists, we make a promise to one another to walk together toward the lives we seek to lead. This is known as a covenant. We remake that promise every week as we gather together. So would you join me once again in remaking our words of covenant? to one another with the words you find in the order of service. Love. Love. 
is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Gathered here in the mystery of the hour, gathered here in one strong body, gathered here in the struggle and the power, spirit draw near one more time, gathered here in the mystery of the hour, Thank you. Please be seated. Today, we commission and bless those among us who have taken on the important responsibility of providing religious education and childcare for our children and youth. They come to us from diverse professional and personal backgrounds, but all are offering their time, talent, care, and their willingness to include our young people in their lives. On Sunday mornings, our teachers become carriers of our Unitarian Universalist faith. They fashion traditions and rituals, an opening and the chalice lighting words, this is the church of the open mind, helping hands and loving heart, the weekly sharing of joys and sorrows, and a closing circle to extinguish the chalice until they meet again. They tell the stories of our faith, draw wisdom from our sources, and help young people understand and live the seven principles. They help youth articulate their faith and apply Unitarian Universalist teachings to social issues. Our teachers have become learners themselves. They have begun exploring how to teach children about the connecting power of love, to help youth discover how virtues like integrity, humility, and generosity can operate in their real lives, and how to teach children about our seven principles through Dr. Seuss, of course, and other great books. Our teachers move beyond their professional and personal lives to open their hearts to our children and youth and provide a safe and healthy religious environment for learning and growth. To this purpose, surrounded and supported by our whole congregation, we wish to dedicate their efforts. Now I invite those of you who are going to teach religious education this year and provide childcare for children and youth to come forward as we make our covenant together, if you don't mind. <laughs> to give you an idea of what it takes to do this each year, here are our teachers. In the nursery, Michelle Boris, Sandry Bowers, and Natasha Swango. For our preschool and kindergarten class, we have Val Henry, Mary Leeson, Elizabeth Swango, Heather Waltz, Stephanie Workman. In grades one through three, we have Sandy Eaglin, Patty Miller, Amanda Rome, Dan Hayes, Elizabeth Swango. Grades four through six, Trudy Deal, Luna Hart, Susan Poole-Wilkie, and Cheryl Spur. For the middle school, Liz Bright, Max Grubb, Dave Smeltzer, Tim Smith. The high school coming of age this year will be guided by Donna Craver, Dan Flippo, Marianne Casper, and Rob Waltz. That's a lot of people. <laughs> oh. All right, teachers and child care providers, 
we invite you to make this covenant with us. In taking on this responsibility, you have committed yourselves to nurturing the spirits of the younger members of this congregation. So do you promise now before them and to this congregation to do your best to honor them, teach them, and nurture their growth? If so, please say we do. And now, children and youth, do you, children and youth of the Religious Education Program, promise to honor, respect, and nurture these teachers with your hearts and with your minds? If so, please say we do. Thank you. Do you, the Congregation of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent, promise these teachers and young people your support, knowing that progressive religious values cannot be taught only in a classroom, but must also be encouraged and supported in the home and beyond? If so, please answer, we do. Thank you. I saved some water from our water communion to use for rituals during the year. The water we have this morning was shared by you during our water communion last week. So now we're going to bless each of our teacher's hands. Now, would you join Colleen and me in words of blessing for our teachers, our children, and our child care workers? You'll find the blessing in your order of service. May your, May your classes, classes this year be filled with joy and with, with laughter. laughter. May, May you grow spiritually. May, May you grow, grow in knowledge. May you grow in wisdom. May you grow in boldness. May you learn from one another and share your gifts with each other, with us, with us and with the world. Now let us sing our children, our teachers, and child care providers to their classes. Will you join me now in the spirit of contemplation and prayer? A spirit that is life and love itself, you in which we share and find strength and common purpose. We turn our minds and hearts toward one another as we hold in this circle of care and concern all who need our love and support, those we've named in this time of remembrance, those we carry in our hearts and in our thoughts, all who are ill, who are in pain either in body or spirit, those who struggle with addiction, those who are lonely, those who are grieving, we pray for them. We pray for ourselves too, that we, we would be grateful for the many blessings we receive each and every day, and that we would use our blessings with joy, generosity, and kindness. Help us to live fully this life we have been given, to treat each and every moment as a rare and precious treasure, to worship what is of true worth, to practice radical hospitality, welcoming the stranger, to speak the truth as we know it, and to join in the struggle for justice and peace in the world. We ask that you would help us to feel the heartbeat of life itself and to find wonder and awe in both the struggle and the beauty of life, to remember that we are connected in mystery and miracle to one another and all of creation, to care for this fragile planet and work for the well-being of every creature, to affirm life, and to walk upon this earth in gentleness and reverence. May it be so, and amen. The Nuremberg Chronicle of 1493 describes Europe as depressed. It described a civilization with little vision of hope, referring to what they called the 
calamity of our time, the publishers actually left several pages blank so that readers could record the rest of the events until the end of the world happened. Then, as if suddenly, Europe is agog. The depression lifts like a morning mist, novelty begins to shine everywhere, and the seeds of the Renaissance that had been germinating for 200 years start to sprout vigorously. Underlying all of this artistic, philosophical, and scientific upheaval was an even more basic, all-embracing change. The worldview by which European civilization had orientated itself for almost 1,500 years had turned on its head. The common belief was that the landmass of our planet was situated entirely above the equator, extending contiguously from Western Europe to Eastern Asia, sort of like a giant birdbath. The belief that the equator defined the end of the world limited the spirit necessary to produce reality. The equator served as an emotional barrier, a belief born of mythology and kept in place by anxiety. The power of emotional barriers to restrict both the imaginative capacity and the adventure necessary for freeing the imagination is evidenced by what followed so quickly in the wake of Prince Henry, the navigator Portuguese king, who first crossed the equator. What soon followed was the discovery of the Western Hemisphere and a radical new understanding of the entire planet, including Copernicus' revelation that the Earth revolved around the sun. Over the next half century, more radical changes occurred in every field of human endeavor than had ever happened before. When we come to it, we, this people on this minuscule globe who reach daily for the bomb, the blade, and the dagger, yet who petition in the dark for tokens of peace, we, this people on this small drifting planet whose hands can strike with such abandon that in a twinkling, life is sapped from the living. Yet those same hands can touch with such healing, irresistible tenderness that the haughty neck is happy to bow and the proud back is glad to bend. Out of such chaos, out of such contradiction, we learn that we are neither devils nor divines. When we come to it, we, this people on this wayward floating body, created on this earth, of this earth, have the power to fashion for this earth a climate where every man and every woman can live freely without sanctimonious piety and without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. And that is when, and only when, we come to it. History, of course, always depends on the perspective of who's telling it. It's said that it is often from the victor's perspective. But I want to share a little bit of history from children's perspective. Here's a lesson about the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. The Middle Ages was when everyone was middle-aged. During the Futile Ages, 
People put on morality plays about ghosts, goblins, virgins, and other mythical creatures. During the Renaissance, Martin Luther was nailed to the church door at Wittenberg for selling papal indulgences. He died a horrible death being excommunicated by a bull. It was an age of great inventions and discoveries. Gutenberg invented the Bible. Sir Walter Raleigh invented cigarettes and started smoking. Sir Francis Drake circumcised the world with a 100-foot clipper. <laughs> this is part of a wonderful article titled The World According to Student Bloopers by Richard Laterer. So, in all fairness, these interpretations of history by young people are because their brains are still forming, but that's their understanding of reality. How would you or I react if these things were an adult were saying in all seriousness because that's what they believed? Our current administration aside, which is a theater of the absurd for those who pay attention to what is really happening in the world, People create myths and stories all the time, some of which are helpful and some of which hold us back. In his book, A Failure of Nerve, Rabbi Edwin Friedman talks about how myths, the stories we've created to help us understand the world, sometimes prevent growth, learning, and progress. As you heard in the reading, Europe had been in a depression in the late Middle Ages. There was little vision or hope. In his 1972 book, Myths to Live By, Joseph Campbell wrote, the view of the universe that most people carried in their minds up until 1492 was the image expressed in the Bible. The earth was flat, shaped something like a dinner plate floating on a great ocean. Other planets and the sun revolved around the earth. The ancient Greeks knew the world was a sphere but this was not readily available to people during the Middle Ages. There was so much turmoil in Europe, social structures had broken down, including the ones that supported scholarship, artistic production, philosophy, and science. But after the Portuguese navigator King Prince Henry crossed the equator, everything changed. The worldview that European civilization had oriented itself to for 1,500 years flipped. Columbus sailed across the Atlantic and discovered the New World. Magellan sailed all the way around the globe. Friedman goes on to say that the belief that the equator defined the end of the world limited the spirit necessary to experience reality. The equator is what he calls an emotional barrier, a belief born of mythology and kept in place by anxiety. But once this emotional barrier had been broken through, more radical change occurred in every field of human endeavor than had ever happened before. Friedman, in his systems theory work, believes that the creation of emotional barriers and their tendency to keep a system static, stuck in place, is a universal human experience that happens to individuals, communities, and as the first reading demonstrates, entire civilizations. It is only when people dare to question stories miss the beliefs they hold and look beyond their existing understanding of reality, the change and progress can happen. We all have some equators of our own. We have missed beliefs or false ideas about ourselves that affect the choices we make and our understanding of reality. These are emotional barriers that we refuse to cross even though sometimes we know they're not real. As a result of these barriers, we don't live as fully as we could. How have your emotional barriers, your myths, held you back? 
Perhaps you didn't ask an attractive person out on a date or even talk to them because you thought you weren't attractive enough or interesting enough or... Maybe you didn't apply for a great job because you thought you weren't smart enough or qualified enough or... Or maybe, just maybe, you were afraid to leave an unhealthy or abusive relationship or marriage because you believe you deserve the way you're being treated. Or you're too old or too something to do or be or some of the stories and myths we have about ourselves came to us from childhood. I've talked with people who were told they would never amount to anything or were told they were stupid or sinful or ugly. These myths are especially powerful because they came from people we were taught to trust and believe. Other myths we have about ourselves may be the result of our own internal conversation going on our head, in our head, stories we've created to protect ourselves or to justify behaviors that are destructive. If we hear or reinforce these messages enough, we eventually believe them. They become the reality that shapes the choices and decisions we make. Unitarian Universalism in this congregation have myths and stories too, many of which are epic and wonderful and funny. These stories inspire us to be more noble, more generous, more compassionate, more fully human, more dedicated to transforming the world. But other myths and stories we have as congregation and a faith movement hold us back. We don't have enough, well, fill in the blank. We're not, we can't. When we get trapped, by these myths of scarcity or inadequacy or inability, we've lost sight of the big picture. In the Hebrew scriptures, the book of Proverbs says, without a vision, the people perish. Without vision, purpose, priorities, and direction are lacking. It is vision that calls us forward and dares us to be creative, to be generous, to rise to the best of who we can be, to reject the old stories we have, to move forward even when those stories we hold threaten to keep us stuck. Vision, it dares us to dream and asks who we will be in the years to come. This congregation has a vision statement that says, our vitality and passion call us to restore and expand our space to equal the energy of our dreams. As we do, we are better equipped to carry on our historic legacy and embrace our potential for connection service, programming, and outreach. Although part of this vision is the task of restoring and expanding our spaces as a means to achieving our vision, this statement tells us about how we see ourselves. We are a people of vitality and passion with energetic dreams. We are heirs to an historic and powerful legacy that includes our congregation's history and the history of Unitarian Universalism, a legacy we can trace back hundreds of years. And we are clear about our priorities. Our vision statement names four. Connection. In this age of increasing isolation, a time when people feel more alone and alienated than ever, we offer opportunities to connect with ourselves, with one another, with those like us and unlike us, and with the very depths themselves, the God of our understanding. Through these connections, we grow as spiritual and emotional beings and become more fully human. Service. Frederick Buchner spoke of that place where our passions meet the world's needs. We all have gifts, talents, compassion, wisdom, and kindness to share. 
Service is our response to our connections with one another and with the divine. Through service to one another, this community and the world, we make our faith real and bring about the beloved community. Number three, programming. One of the roles of the church has always been education, offering opportunities to grow in mind and spirit, to deepen our faith, to discover the rich and long history of this congregation and Unitarian Universalism, and to learn about our world. Offering a variety of programs not only enriches us, but gives us a way to share our community with the wider community. Number four, outreach. We have so much to offer the world. Has Unitarian Universalism changed you in some way? Or has it even saved your life? Has it been a haven in times of struggle and loss, a place where you find renewal and inspiration? If so, then we truly have as much to offer as we say, and the greater Kent community needs to know that from every single one of us and be invited to join us in our worship and our work. Nothing to it, right? These four priorities are huge. How do we know if we're moving toward our vision? Your board of trustees and I met for a retreat a week ago. During that retreat, we reflected on our vision and our values and crafted six goals for this first year of our shared ministry. These goals are each measurable in our response to what we've heard from you about our priorities and where our energy needs to go. We've shared these goals with staff and key leaders among you for initial feedback. After some review, we'll present them to you and ask that you join in this work in the spirit of shared ministry. I can sum them up by saying that our focus this year will be on radical hospitality, nurturing leadership, increasing adult religious exploration, creating more community visibility, and expanding our social justice work. I am filled with hope for what we can do together. And like John Lennon, I'm a dreamer. I've been a Unitarian Universalist 22 years, and I've seen this faith at its best many times. But I've also seen this faith fail me, fail others, especially people of color, and fail the world. We're not yet the anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural faith we say we want to be. We're not yet the inclusive, diverse, diverse, truly welcoming faith we say we want to be. And we certainly haven't achieved the vision of Thomas Jefferson, who once said that he expected one day all Americans would be Unitarians. But I hold stubbornly onto my dreams for our faith and a vision for Unitarian Universalism, a vision that we will embrace and claim our power fully, our compassion and our energy to create the beloved community on this earth. In the second reading, Maya Angelou said, we, the people on this wayward floating body created on this earth of this earth have the power to fashion for the earth a climate where every person can live freely without sanctimonious piety, without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world that is when and only when we come to it. Imagine, imagine a world where every person is truly able to live freely and without fear. It is time to fully awaken this vision, the vision of this congregation and the vision of Unitarian Universalism, a vision of loving and being loved, of welcoming and being welcomed, 
of sharing our lives with one another, of caring for and collaborating with one another, of comforting and willing to be uncomfortable, of ever widening the circle of justice and mercy, a vision that affirms that we are the possible, we are the miraculous when and only when we come to it. Isn't it about time to come to it and to be audacious, be daring and sail into the future? Together in the weeks, months, and years to come, let us dare to dream our million dreams and join our hands and our hearts together so that we might make our vision real. May it be so, and it is together we will make it so. I invite us to take a few moments of reflection. Now to bring our time of worship to a close, will you join me in the words for extinguishing the chalice which are in your order of service? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. May we carry these in our hearts and our minds until we are together again. And now, renewed in our vision and daring to be a people who dream big with a million dreams for this congregation, for Unitarian Universalism and for the world, and filled with hope for the possibilities awaiting us, let us go forth in peace and joy to inspire love, seek justice, and grow in community. May it be so. Blessed be. And amen.